Welcome to Coastal Front. Join us each week as we sit down with the movers and shakers of Vancouver to discuss stories of business, politics, accomplishment, and failure. Our aim is to keep you dialed into what matters most in our city. Now, here's your host, Andrew Johns. Today, I'm joined by Raj Hara and Blair Manton, both of whom are Senior Vice Presidents at Sands & Associates. Raj and Blair are licensed insolvency trustees, combining over 23 years of experience of banking, finance, accounting, and insolvency matters. I'm super excited for this conversation and can't think of a more important time to speak with two insolvency experts than immediately following the most widespread and impactful economic shutdown of our time. CERB, which is the Canada Emergency Response Benefit, has helped keep Canadians afloat for the last three months. But what happens when these checks stop flowing? Have the government programs and subsidies simply been kicking the can down the road type of effect, delaying an inevitable economic fallout? Or were the billions that have been spent on CERB successful in avoiding what could have been a catastrophic economic collapse in Canada? Raj and Blair, thanks for joining me on Coastal Front today. Let's dive right into this. Thanks for coming on, guys. My pleasure. You're welcome. So let's start with this stat that I have here. And I'm not sure, Blair, if this is correct or not. Um, I know you got some papers there, but I understand that insolvencies have actually been on a decline here in the last couple months. Yeah, that's almost a bit of an understatement. It's the biggest decline I've ever seen. I've been a trustee the last 13 years, and you know we're used to kind of single digits up, single digits down. Uh, what happened in the month of April, April 2020 compared to April 2019, was across Canada, a decline of 43%. So a massive, massive change. Uh, April of 2019, there was almost 12,000 people filing insolvency in Canada. April 2020, just over half, 6,700 filing insolvency. So a really big, big difference. Wow, that's amazing. So just to make sure this is correct, we've seen, you've been in this business for 13 years. Mm -hmm. This has been the biggest drop you've ever seen in a time when there's been the highest amount of unemployment in Canada's history since probably the Great Depression. Well, it, it goes a little bit deeper than that too, yeah. Andrew. What's really sure. interesting is also in July of 2019, so well before this pandemic hit, it was the largest increase year over year of insolvencies in the province of BC that I had ever seen. It was 35.5%. That number's just etched into my head. The month of July 2019 over July 2018, 35% increase. So we had already seen the Canadian consumer was so extended. People were really having a tough time. They were starting to file increasing numbers of insolvencies. And then when the pandemic hit, the tap just turned off. People just stopped filing insolvencies. And there's a bunch of reasons for that, but it wasn't that people are suddenly in a much better place. They were already trending in a pretty negative uh, type of a, of a situation with insolvencies increasing. Wow. Well, we're going to dive into those reasons and why you guys, uh, what your sort of professional take is on that. But in speaking about the stat that you've just dropped, which is blows my mind, which is that the increase, the, uh, you said it was a 35% per yeah. increase. Just in the province of BC. Just in the province year. of BC. Yep. Now, do you have any, why would that be the case? Because if you look, if you go back to July, way before COVID, COVID didn't even exist in July of last year. We were at all time unemployed, all time low on like we're talking like fifty five year low unemployment numbers in Canada. BC's economy is absolutely booming. We have low interest rates that weren't had didn't any sense of them going up. Why do you think un, um, insolvencies had increased that much year over year? 
Well, the number one thing that our clients were telling us, I'm curious your insight yeah. as well, Raj, but it was cost of living. So, you know, oh, people have just seen so much inflation in their costs over the last number of years to the point in my Vancouver office where I normally work when I'm not off from a pandemic here. Um, you know, the average person was spending more than 50% of their income just on rent. So you're seeing wow. people that are earning, you know, maybe 2500 or $3,000 a month. More than 50% of that is going to rent right off the top. It's pretty difficult to live in Vancouver and not have a debt problem if your income is in that range and more than half of it goes to rent right off the top. Wow. So cost of living was a really big impact from my point of view, I think. I'm curious, Raj, think any other factors that have led to that increase? I have to agree with that. Cost of living and just not only rent, but the cost of groceries gone up quite significantly. Uh, transport yeah. and generally just um, well there's a proliferation of online spending yeah you know there's a lot that's going on that in that sphere which which results in people spending more than they can uh, yeah and so um, you know where the real push I think with the insolvency happened it was back in 09 after the um, after well, the, the last meltdown right global but the, financial crisis yeah. but that was more driven by a policy change that was where the consumer proposal became much more effective because previously the the limit for it was seventy five thousand dollars in unsecured debt that you'd be able to file on. Okay, what are you talking about right now? You're a little ahead of me. Oh, that ahead, yeah. Okay, yeah, what okay. Is that? What is that consumer? What did you? What did you? Well, a consumer about? proposal essentially a person in financial difficulty, a uh, consumer yes. has two options that are available to them. Okay. The first is a bankruptcy, which is of last resort. Okay. And basically, what a bankruptcy is is uh, yeah, it's uh, an ability for an individual to deal with their debt load. It's a legal process, and it's based upon your income and your assets. Okay? okay, so every year the government issues a guideline in terms of what it costs for a household to operate, and if your uh, income is above those guidelines, then uh, a bankruptcy may not be your best option. If your income is below those guidelines, and perhaps you want to, that tends to be the individual would like to file for bankruptcy. So when they changed the regulations back in '09, it was always there. There's a proposal available for individuals, and a proposal, uh, simply put, is just to deal with your creditors. Okay. You say, listen, in a bankruptcy situation, you're going to achieve this based off of my income and assets. So creditors, if I pay you a little bit more, will you allow me to, you know, will you accept it and allow me to avoid bankruptcy? So in 09 is when this big change happened. And it made it a lot more accessible. So more people started filing proposals. Mm, I see. And okay. so uh, I think uh, what was happening was that, uh, correct me, if, you know, if you've got a different opinion on this, but um, as the proposal became more and more uh, mainstream and with social media and the cost of living people nobody wants to file for bankruptcy mm -hmm. uh, but people are more than happy to return the best they can to their creditors nobody mm -hmm. wants to you know it's an honest and unfortunate person that's found themselves in financial difficulty that want to get ahead of it right. and that's why the proposal started building stream uh, being steam in terms of people wanting to file it so i think that the insolvency filings just happened as the consumer proposal became um more mainstream okay. you, know? you know people begin to start to know about it and being able to use that as an effective tool to avoid bankruptcy. Right, interesting. Yeah. Is there, in the same way that like mental health has become like uh, not a taboo subject anymore, do you think it's maybe the same way? Like people are not feeling so ashamed of being of having to apply for, you know, um, per, like uh, insolvency or having to deal with their debt in a different way than maybe a year before? Yeah, before? That, that's, that's a very interesting point because uh, when, I guess a few years back when Google reviews became very important, yeah. We were struggling in terms of mm -hmm. saying, you know, we do a great job. People come to our office, tell us that we're doing a great job. Yeah. But will that person be willing to put a public testimonial out there? Right. It's yeah. very private. Yeah. And you yeah, know, who wants to admit that they, you know, well, it's not, it's not, it's not a, a matter of uh, uh, a mission there. I think, I think, or, or something of guilt or some wrongdoing. Yeah. It's, yeah. 
it's just an option available to them and people you know we're giving people their lives back right yeah so yeah, sure people are willing to um to leave testimonials and very happy about yeah. it so i don't think it's um, something to be terrified about or be shame shameful of yeah it's just but a, it might have been in the past it may have been in the past yeah well we can really get into that i think we're going to digress from there but yeah. it may have been traditional uh, marketing in the past i see in terms yeah. of um other uh not-for-profit societies yeah. uh stating that uh, bankruptcy is the worst thing you could ever do for yourself where oh. in fact it's usually the quickest and fastest way to get a fresh start right right, right. so yeah. Let's just not get into that, but yeah, I think it's yeah, just yeah. a matter okay. of the, the marketing was presented. Yeah. Um, I mean, would you? What would you say about that? Yeah, yeah I think there's there's still a, a stigma, yeah. unfortunately, about yeah. debt, and you know, yeah. it's definitely gotten better in in the last ten years. I think a lot of people have said, you know, well, this corporation went bankrupt. Oh my God, this big corporation did that. You know, Donald Trump's been bankrupt a number of times, and right. you know, he's he's still okay. Yeah. Whatever Who okay means, like right? There yeah. you go. <laughs> uh, but I, I think people are starting to understand. You know, if a corporation can do it, if these very famous, successful people have to take a bit of a financial reset, why? should we be so hard on ourselves yeah. that being said almost every day and i know it's the same for you raj mm -hmm. i get people on the phone two years they've been struggling they know they've had a problem they know they need right. need help but they've waited two years to reach out because they're yeah. just so scared they're fearful yeah. they're they're scared of being judged scared of the unknown yeah. so a lot of our job is just getting people over that initial hump of okay forget about the stigma you need to do what's right for you and what's right for you is to take advantage of this legislation which allows you to actually get a fresh financial start and move yeah. on and that's better for the economy in a number of, of reasons um, but people, they still are very, very hard on themselves and suffer more than I think they should as a professional here to help. Right. Okay. It sounds well, counterintuitive, but the insolvency system is really set up for creditors, really, if you think about it. Yeah. it. It gives them some certainty. If somebody were to default on their obligations, there is a mechanism of collection. Yeah. So sure. it actually does promote commerce. Yeah. Uh, it's a and 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 you know you're, you're much more well versed in financial in the in terms of the banks and things than we are these days. But you know it's all built into their finances. The loan loss reserves we'll probably be touching sure. on that now yeah. pretty soon, anyways. But you know they've increased their loan loss reserves. They're big boys. Let's yeah. put it that way. They've built yeah. it into the financial models. And uh, the reality of it is that the consumer default rates are so low, it's negligible in terms of their losses. Interesting. Uh, what's yeah. the, the I think it's one in a thousand people file. Oh, in terms of the, oh, ba the bankruptcy thousand? rates? Yeah, yeah. 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 so th yeah. this I, I actually yeah. love. Yeah, the, the rate, um, you know, it doesn't change that much year to year yeah. across Canada. It's four per 1,000 people are going to file a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal. Yeah. And when you square that with the number of people that have applied for CERB, which I think it was 8 million <laughs> on 20, <laughs> mm -hmm. so that's about 40% of the labor yeah. market. So from 0.4% to 40%, obviously not everyone on CERB is going to need an insolvency, but the magnitude is just something we've never, ever seen. This yeah. amount of the labor force who is needing help to get through a tough time, yeah. they're not all going to file for bankruptcy four per 1,000 on, on an average year. The system could never handle that. Right. But we do anticipate there's going to be mm -hmm. a lot of folks that are going to need some help. Yeah. Wow. So just to summarize, basically, if I was an individual in financial hardship, I've got, and I call you up, I've got one of two paths to eventually go down. Or maybe I end up going down one before the other. But so the ultimate one, as you mentioned, is insolvency, is, is complete bankruptcy. Is that correct? Then, uh, no, the, it's um, in terms the, of sorry. Yeah, oh, correct. but the other one you mentioned was, or th that's one option, right? Yeah. Is it, what was the other one you called? Consumer it? proposal. Consumer proposal, yeah. and that's the one that's kind of uh, that. That's where you've negotiated with your. So when you look at your customers at Sam's, yeah. what percentage of your customers or your clients, um, in the end, going go down the consumer proposal route versus the bankruptcy route? It's about two thirds. 
Two thirds. Yeah. Okay. And that's what's interesting too, is over time, how much that's shifted. So uh, I've been at Sands oh, yeah? about the last 10 years. When I joined, it was about a third proposal, two thirds bankruptcies. Oh. Now that's completely flipped. And that's similar across Canada. Still Atlantic Canada is a little more bankruptcies than proposals because the income is lower. But Ontario, Quebec, Alberta here, uh, it's been majority, if not two thirds proposals for a long time. And that's a bit of the challenge that we deal with as trustees as well, is people have no idea what this proposal thing is, right? right. They think the only option is a bankruptcy and they think bankruptcy means we show up at their door, cart out their furniture, tell their neighbors how to deadbeat they've been, all of that stuff. Yeah, totally. And they don't even think there's any alternative like a proposal, which by the way, freezes all your interest, reduces the debt usually to about a third of what you owe. And it's not a bankruptcy. Yeah. So a lot of our job is calming them down first, but then giving good news that what you thought you were coming in for, you know, the undertaker, the worst possible proceeding, which it isn't, but that's what you think. We've got a great option that at least two thirds of people end up making a success out of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's other options available to the individual as well. And since we're licensed by the government, yeah. we're required to go through them because we we're, we have to assess the individual's financial circumstances, sure. right? So, so what are the other ones? So, well, one, which is quite common, which has happened quite a bit right now, is the, the deferral, right? So it's a right. non-legislative debt settlement arrangement. Basically work with your creditors and come to terms. Yeah. You know, that might work with your landlord or your mechanic, but it's probably not going to work with the banks. Like, can you imagine marching into the bank and saying, by the way, I can't pay you this week, but I, I, I might come back to you in six months. That's not going <laughs> to... Well, I guess now it's happening, right? But uh, so there's that. Uh, there's a consolidation loan, but the banks, uh, I'd say about 10 years ago, just stopped often, uh, offering consolidation loans unless you had an ample amount of security to back it against. Like there's not... Is the, that because it just was like catching a falling knife in their view? Well, yeah, yeah. I, I really don't know what the perspective oh, okay. is on that. It used to be quite common. Mm. Right. But they're not offering any longer. Mm. You can get it from uh, like uh, higher rates. And but people that doesn't it's kind of like out of the frying pan into the fire. Right. Well, yeah. why are you going to do that? Yeah. Um, there's you can you try to budget your way out of it. But, you know, everyone genuinely wants to pay their debts back. They're just the honest and unfortunate person. They've already tried to budget. They've already started to cut things yeah. down. But to Blair's earlier point, like the cost of living, if 50, 60 percent of your income is going towards rent, how much can you budget out of that? Right. Your yeah, landlord's sure. not going to change. Right. And then so so, do, so yeah. do your do your clientele span a whole spectrum of say for example income earners like I I would just assume that your 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 customer base are going to be largely like low income uneducated people who are really you know not making very much in the first place or do you, do you have like mid level executives and even executives who are calling you up. Yeah, I'd yeah. say it's it's all walks of life. It's all ages, all stages, everything from there. So, yeah. you know, in an average year, you know, we'd probably see somebody in their late 80s and someone in their late teens in terms mm -hmm. of their income levels. You know, everyone from social assistance, which might be $1,100 a month. And, you know, you struggle to make to make things work. But, you know, if they really want to do a bankruptcy, we'll help them through it. Uh, all the way to people making fifteen, twenty thousand $20,000 a month who maybe just didn't put away money for taxes. And now the government's frozen bank account started to garnish wages. Um, they're going to have to pay a bunch back through the bankruptcy but at least they're not going to be garnished, have things seized from them. It's all going to be a very defined point of right. view. Um, so, you know, the average person is male more than female. It's okay. about 41 years of age, which is this guy right here sitting yeah. in the chair. So <laughs> I'm the average guy. Uh, and about forty to $60,000 of debt. So that's typically okay. what we see. And what kind and of income are they typically About three to 4000 after taxes. Per month. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, pretty middle class, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, pretty and when tough. you said yeah. largely men, what's the breakdown of men versus women? It's not that big. It's about 55, 45. Okay. You know, it changes. Yeah. a little bit each year yeah. uh, but from our clientele it's a slightly more male than female yeah. yeah interesting okay well look let's dive into this crazy stat uh, that uh insolvencies have dropped by 43 and a half percent year over year mm -hmm. in a time when we've seen unemployment rates skyrocket 
Yeah. Why is this happening, guys? Like, I, I would have thought when you come in here, I would have thought you guys would be like so busy, you'd be hiring left, right, and center because you're couldn't, you know, phones, the, you know, just bring it off the hook. Mm-hmm. But it sounds to me like it's almost the opposite, which is mm-hmm. probably not great for your business right now. But I almost wonder if there's like a tsunami coming your way. We're just waiting for it to come. Yeah, that's that's what we definitely think. So we expect that that flow is going to happen. Yeah. Um, but as of now, there's a bunch of reasons why things have slowed down. Okay. You know, and as soon as things happen, as soon as the pandemic lockdown, we were ringing off the hook, just crazy busy people. It's so much uncertainty. It felt like financial 911 operators every day, right? just trying wow. you know calm people down, understand here's what you can do. Um, but what's happened is a lot of uh, steps that have been taken by government and by creditors have completely taken the foot off the gas from a person really needing to immediately deal with their debts. Right. So, you know, one that people might not be as aware of as we are is the courts are closed right now. So if you owe somebody oh, money, they? absolutely. So if you owe somebody that. money yeah. in good in good mm-hmm. times, so maybe not good times for you, but they can go to court, they can take a judgment against you. And once they get that judgment, that's when they can seize your wages, seize your assets. But if the courts aren't open, they can't do that. So there's really not a whole lot of consequence for somebody of not paying their debt in the short term. Oh, wow. Um, you know, another thing is obviously the government has come out with this CERB benefit. Yeah. So individuals who are getting $2,000 a month, they're focusing that on their necessities. They're paying their rent, they're paying their groceries. Yeah. They're not so concerned about making debt payments. And it's also the case someone in that situation where their income is going to be low for a period of time, if they were to do a proceeding right now, it might not be the right proceeding for them because if they're trying to do a proposal on their debts, maybe they can't afford a proposal at the $2,000 SERB amount, but once they're back making 5000 a month or whatever it might be, then they can afford a proposal. So we're speaking to a lot of those folks and saying, yeah, in the short term, you're not at risk of being sued. You're getting the SERB money. We're giving them a lot of advice in terms of protecting yourself by changing your bank account to somewhere where you don't owe money. That's the only risk. If someone's listening out there and is concerned something can be taken from them, it's only if you're banking where you owe money, can they take your money without a court order? So we're giving people that type of information. But for a lot of folks, there's just so much uncertainty and we're agreeing with them. Yeah, let's get through this tough time now. Let's figure out what your income is going to be. And then a filing can make a whole lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. See, I predict that when Serb's gone, that's when things are going to, that's when shit's going to hit the fan. I mean, like I I just think this whole Serb, there's the CBA, there's the the CWS, you know, the, the CBA mm-hmm. is the, the for businesses that can yeah. borrow $40,000 and get their $10,000 uh, in their jeans and the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy. I was at a restaurant last night with my, for Father's Day, just a you know, nice little restaurant in Kitsilano. And I was looking at the people working there and it's like, this place is dead. Mm. And nice little restaurant, I won't name it, but uh, nice little restaurant. And even the owner came over and thanked us for eating there. And I was happy to help support a local business. But I looked at this place and I'm like they got five employees in here and like three patrons I'm like how are these guys going to make ends meet yeah. when that Canada wage subsidy disappears you know you got four or five employees you know your cost of labor per hour is like 15 bucks right now but you go from $15 an hour to 60 bucks an hour and you can't even you know every half every second table is empty I don't know how it's going to work now, do you yeah. guys deal with companies like bi- small business owners like that? Do you deal with those kind of people or are you just strictly individuals? Or no, how? we deal with companies as well, too. You do? Yeah, yeah. but um, con- uh, corporate insolvency is a whole different matter. If you look okay. at the stats, there's not that many filings anymore, especially in British Columbia. Why? Uh, and the reason is, is well, it, it all goes back to 2009 where the bank started incubating. What I, I call it incubating. Okay, there's yeah. no, there's no, it's, 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 that's my term. I like yeah. to use it. I'm sure somebody else has used it at some point too. But uh, what it is, is that uh, if somebody has financial difficulty in a business, they, they tend to work, they escalate from the branch into special accounts. Yeah. So in special accounts, they're, they're 
their key objective is recovery, mm. right? So what they try to do is they, they work with the individual and they do voluntary liquidations of their assets. And as long as they deposit the funds into the uh, into their bank account, well, the bank doesn't need to appoint a receiver, doesn't need to do a bankruptcy, does, the debtor doesn't need to file the corporation. So it's just it, the bank gets their money and then they kind of just leave it. So those individuals often come into us and uh, they'll say they want to file a corporate bankruptcy, but it, it really doesn't make sense because they're mm. going to be uh, inheriting a lot of liabilities as a director themselves, be that for yeah. unpaid wages, for a personal guarantee they've given on a loan, um, and you know, even a personal guarantee with a landlord. Right? Yeah. So yeah, sure. the corporate bankruptcy doesn't make sense. The assets are all gone because the bank arranged for them to be liquid on a voluntary basis, be liquidated. The debtor yeah. deposits into the account, and so there's not much left. Like it's staggering if you look at the. British Columbia statistics in terms of uh, corporate insolvency, there's not more than 10 a month. Wow. What have been like when you first started in, in this business? It was, yeah, we'd be managing 10 files each. You know, as juniors wow. kind of going out there, it's like go out there and go take possession of a restaurant wow. and do these kind of things. But that, Crazy. you know, it's, it's not glorious work, yeah. but you know, it just, it's it, like I said before, it's part of the whole, yeah. uh, to promote commerce, there needs to be insolvency me uh, mechanism, some sort of collection mechanism for the banks or else yeah. they're not going to lend. Yeah, sure. Can you imagine being a bank and not being able to get your money back? Yeah. Um, so that's, that's, that's uh, yeah, yeah, things have definitely changed. You know, what's interesting is the banks are sitting at all-time high levels of cash. Yeah. Mm. Never, never seen this level before. So in the same, like, again, it just is so perplexing that we are in an environment where we have unemployment at, akin to what we saw during the Great Depression, way before any yeah. of us were even thought of being conceived. And you've got, you know, in, insolvencies that have dropped by 40% and banks that are sitting with more cash than they've ever seen before. And the feedback I've gotten from these bankers is that the CERB money, no, the C, the CBA, the Canada Emergency Business Account, mm -hmm. that $40,000, so many business owners are applying for it. They don't need it. They've admitted they yeah. don't need it, but they're like, you know what? I get to get keep 10 grand. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to yeah. borrow 40 grand for two and a half years at zero interest. And then I can keep 10 of it as long as I pay back the other 30. Um, so one of the things I, I'm, you, you caught my attention on, uh, Blair, is you mentioned about the typical customer uh, clientele of Sands mm -hmm. is a 41 year old male with an after tax income of about two to three thousand dollars a month. Uh, three to four. Oh, three to four. Yeah, Excuse in that me, range. Yeah. Yep. One of the things that I think is interesting that I think hasn't been caught by the press yet, and it won't be until probably this time next year when people are filing their 2020 2020 mm -hmm. tax returns, is the CERB money that's right. coming in. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize that $2,000 a month, they're not deducting that source. You're getting yeah. that as after-tax mm -hmm. money, but it is fully taxable in your name. Do yeah. you see this, Blair, as being a factor? And will this have an impact next year when people start getting their tax bill? Oh, I think absolutely it will. I think it's going to accelerate the number of people that would be filing insolvency absent this, ta this, um, this tax liability. Because if you think even in a low tax bracket, you know, 25% of what you're getting each month, yeah. you know, that's $500. And how many months is CERB going to go on for? Four, six months, something like that. Like, yeah, sure. You know, it could start to get to be something relatively significant, especially if you're working a couple jobs already and maybe you're in a higher tax bracket than that typical 25%. Yeah. And what's interesting about government debt as well is psychologically, it's different than owing the bank money or owing right. a personal somebody money. You know, people, when they owe the government money, they're way more stressed about it. And it's because the government can shortcut all those collection things I talked about to you before. The courts right. are closed. You don't need to be worried. The government doesn't need the courts. They can go directly. They can register on title to your house. They can take Garnish your wages, wages right through, away. Through CRA. What's even yeah. one of the worst things is if you're self-employed, they can do what's called a requirement to pay 
pay to your clients, which you send your client an invoice, government follows it up with a direction that says, hey, that money you were going to pay to the person that gave you that service, pay it directly to the government instead. So wow. they basically choke off your revenue at source yeah. there. So they're not going to do that in every situation, of course, but knowing that they're able to do that. And then just again, psychologically, people feel, oh my God, I owe the government money. Am I going to go to jail? Is there any way to even deal with this? The number of people that Raj and I deal with that in the last five minutes of a conversation, they say, okay, I told you about everything else. I still owe the government a bunch of money, but I know you can't help with that. And we're like, well, speaking to my good ear, of course we can yeah, help with yeah, that. Yeah. We help them with government debt every single day here, student loans, income taxes, but people don't know that. So, so I think it's going to be a challenge. So does the government actually negotiate on these things or no? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they do? They won't negotiate with you or me or Raj individually, but yeah. as a trustee, if we do a consumer proposal, yeah. they'll regularly accept 30 cents on the dollar, 50 cents on the dollar, 20 right? cents on the dollar. Yeah. And what's so powerful too, Andrew, is even if they don't agree, if they're not the majority debt holder, so if you yeah. owe the government 20000 but you owe Royal Bank 21000 if Royal Bank wants to accept a proposal for 25 cents on the dollar, because they're a majority creditor, it doesn't matter if the government doesn't want it. They're dragged along. It's majority rules in a consumer proposal. Really? So that's one of the more powerful and really fun days in our yeah, job yeah. is telling the government, hey, all these things you want to do to that individual, even though you don't want this proposal, well, majority of the debt does, therefore legally binding, and your debt is now included in that. Oh, wow. And, and there's times where, you know, picture yourself being a small business owner, sole proprietor, you're just a guy starting out doing drywall. Yeah. So you're a guy doing drywall. Uh, you're working somewhere and your your general says, hey, you know what? It's probably better if you become a sole proprietor because you get all these write-offs. So you go ahead and you set that up. Nowhere is the government teaching people how to operate a GST account. Right. There's no coursework on that. No, there's no, there's not, not even an online webinar or no, anything you can nothing. look at. Yeah. So you got this young guy who's not who doesn't have to pay any deductions at source. So he may be making 50 working for somebody else, but now he's doing all gross revenue. This is self-employed income. Yeah. No deductions at source. He's required to pay GST. That goes on for three or four years. Right. He's just trying to do everything the right way. He's just behind the eight ball now. Yeah. Right? And then, so then we got to help him out, right? So, but I wish that the government would bring in some programs because everyone wants to pay their amount of their debt. They're not trying to get away with it. Yeah. It's just that the education there. So you brought up a great point with the CERB, right? Yeah. So an individual can actually, I believe the rules are they can earn up to $1,000 of employment income as well, too. That's right. So oh. every month, this person, if they're getting 2000 of CERB and 1000 there, they're going about 600 bucks behind every month. And their right. income tax obligation. Compound yeah, I was going to ask year. you about. Like, I pulled my calculator yeah. out here. So let's assume that you got a person who's making a thousand bucks a month. Maybe, maybe they're making more, but they're at least from a claims yeah. perspective, they're 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 making a thousand, but they're getting their CERB. Yeah. And let's say it goes on for I don't know. Let's call it twelve weeks because this thing is going to get extended. I mean, Justin Trudeau's made it very clear hmm. this thing's going to on. Probably it's probably going to go on to December. Well, so, is this even the universal basic income we've been hearing about? I, I, <laughs> Who knows, could, right? This ever well, go if it was away. up to yeah. the NDP, I'm sure yeah. it would be. Um, and they they have a bit of control in the parliament now. So so let's just run the math on this, Raj. Sure. So you so you got three thousand dollars a month. Then you let your employer is going to. Uh, I, I don't know what the tax negligible is. deductions at source because you're going to be under twelve thousand dollars for the year under their on their T four. So they may not even take deductions at source. Okay, but let's let's say I am working for a retail shop, right, or a restaurant. Or sure, let's just like talk that. about somebody in a restaurant. Yeah, yeah that's fine. Okay, so working at a restaurant, and uh, I'm I'm get I got my job back. Yeah. Part time, and I'm making a thousand bucks a month. How much would the government, or how much would my employer be taking off that thousand dollars? Probably not much because like you're three hundred bucks. Not even because no? you're calculated for the year to have an annual income of twelve thousand. So if you run that through, which more it's not based on the previous year's income. I don't know how. They no, be, well, it's based when well, you put it into your payroll software, yeah. like normal, oh, and then ADP will calculate it. So if you're, oh, if you're, I'm just saying oh, so ADP because most people I use see. ADP, yeah, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. they're going to base your deductions at source based off what your annual income will be, 
what you plunk into the system, right? So oh, if it's a thousand bucks, you're not paying anything. I think no. the credits these years, but it's about twelve grand or something. You can make twelve grand with no Absolutely. tax. Absolutely. So these so people they might are be gonna, deducting like a hundred dollars on that thousand. Yeah, we'll take, they'll take off the EI and, and yeah. CPP, right? Or maybe yeah. not even, right? So, but just say three thousand a month yeah. is their income, yeah. and they're and like a twenty-five. On... So they're behind seven hundred fifty bucks a month. Wow! And you take that time, say four months, yeah. And now they're behind by three thousand dollars mm-hmm. on top of all the, all the other debt that they and they didn't even know, yeah. Right? That's the point. This is where I think the CERB is going to be. They're going to write about this ten years from now in business schools and say what a disaster policy disaster that thing was. Yeah. You know, because they're basically paying Canadians. How many? What did you say, Blair? It was like forty percent of Canadians are claiming oh, some, yeah, some extreme some eight million insane. out of twenty million in the labor yeah. force. Yeah, and, the, and yeah. they're all collecting this as though they're after-tax dollars, but they're not. Mm-hmm. Like, if there's anything yeah. li- listeners to this podcast should get if they get anything from this, if you're collecting CERB, put some money aside. Absolutely right. Yeah. Well, don't if, take if you it if you're not it. eligible. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> First of all, you know, I, yeah. I, I've, oh, I, yeah. If you're not eligible, but d- yeah. don't. Do, well, I, I understand people are just phoning in. I think it's just a phone application. Oh, I haven't yeah, really done, so got easy. into it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, punching your social insurance number, and I, then the I, money shows up in a couple of days. I think that's as simple yeah. as it is. I know someone who he and his wife are. Uh, they're both kind of. I guess you would probably call them lower income earners, but they both have regular streams of income. They did before CERB, uh, before uh, COVID. And, but now they're both collecting CERB. They have two young children, so they're also getting extra money from the provincial mm-hmm. government. And they're renters, so they're getting 500 bucks a month off on their rent. And uh, they're, because of their income levels, they also got a credit with BC Hydro. And uh, they, they've never seen this much money before. You still yeah. wonder why bankruptcies are down? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In I the know. short term, some people yeah. are better off. Yeah. So, yeah. so bankruptcies yeah. are down because, partly because uh, People aren't as fearful because the courts are closed. Mm-hmm. Partly because I don't think it's served. the court. I think it's just because the creditors aren't phoning as much as they don't mm-hmm. have the collection mechanism, right? So oh. if your creditor's not phoning you, right, then you're not worried about your payments. I see. Yeah. Yeah, so. like even CRA, which is oftentimes an aggressive creditor, they've deployed all their staff to getting this COVID money out. So they're not calling oh, you. I they're see. not doing requirements to pay. They're not freezing assets. The last thing they want is front page of the Vancouver Sun of how right, horrible yeah. the government's been in this tough sure. time. So yeah. that's not going to last forever. But yeah. in, the, in the short term, yeah, the government's taking the foot off the gas. Creditors are doing deferrals. So uh, everyone's trying to avoid this massive spike of people having to go through the insolvency system, which, again, we probably couldn't handle it anyway, just with yeah. the way trustees are set up. You couldn't yeah. handle 10,000 filings in a month where it's normally you know 1000 well the banks don't want to push it either it's all about asset valuation so if you have if you're pushing collections on homes and vehicles you're gonna have a spike of foreclosure do you think the banks want to increase the number say if i'm a big bank and i've got an apartment building here downtown that i've lent on several condos and i've got 10 units in there that are going into foreclosure am i going to put all 10 on the market at the same time yeah no i'm going to flood the market reduce my valuation on my asset right so They're going to selectively put in. That's the incubation that I was talking about. Right. And even with vehicles. But it sounds to me like what the problem's been with yeah. the Japanese banks for decades is they won't write off any bad loans because of they don't want to because they want to save face. It sounds to me like there's window dressing happening on these balance sheets. Uh, no, I wouldn't no? say that. I think it's just they're doing the right thing. They did, they want to maintain asset value because yeah, sure, it's one thing for them to collect the money, but then they got to think about the other individuals in the building as well too. You're reducing the value of their primarily their sole right. investment, their nest egg. Right. So I think the- Okay, so Raj, yeah. do you see any um, unintended consequences of all this money being pumped into the system from both CERB for individuals, the 2,000 bucks a month, plus the mainstream, the main ones being the Canada wage subsidy and 
I yeah. think yeah. at this time, where where I've heard this term a couple times, I've heard different things. I've heard it called a Serb vacation. I've heard it called Serbcation, and <laughs> and and what it is is that why would I return to work now if my employer is calling me back into work when I can cut the cost of commuting? I don't have to pack a lunch. My right cost on. of living's gone down. Yeah, and it's summertime. Summertime. Would I rather be? You know, I'm not saying people are manipulating the system, but it's like if it. And to, to your point earlier, you went to the restaurant. He's got five employees there. Maybe some people don't want to return to work. So I've heard, you know, you're yeah. you're walking around. I was just, it's funny you bring that up. We were just at a restaurant the other day as well, too. Yeah. And on the front door is like, help wanted. Yeah. This is odd. We're in the highest times of unemployment. And there's help wanted signs up at restaurants. Yeah. They can't hire. They can't. Be, no, well, why would you come back to work? It's nuts. At, it's nuts, yeah. you guys. You know, and even the fear of maybe getting COVID. I mentioned like, the NDP yeah, earlier. Yeah. yeah, sure, fear of getting yeah, COVID. Could, yeah. I mentioned the NDP earlier. I got to say, like, I, I, I don't as- affiliate with any political party, but I, I feel like, ironically, the left-leaning NDP had got this thing figured out better. Jagmeet Singh came up with this idea, which is it's so simple. She says, give everybody CERB. Anybody yeah. who wants it, gets it. And there's no limitations on how much money you make. Mm-hmm. Right? You get your 2000 bucks a month. Yeah. You can go back to your job. And you can make $4,000 a month on top. And then you know what you do? Is you tax everybody next year mm-hmm. or the year after. You go retroactively and say, okay, if you ended up finishing off 2020 and you did really well for yourself, maybe you had a kind of early start of the year was okay. Maybe you're a salesperson and you got it laid off because mm-hmm. there's nothing to sell, whatever you're trying to sell, selling cars, yeah. right? You're selling cars, you know, you're looking like you might make 50 grand this year, 60 grand, and then you got laid out, your car dealership shut down. So now you collect, sir, but hey, every now and then you can still sell a car. And like, I mean, I know I, I got another, the Porsche guy we talked to. Yeah. He doesn't want to, he doesn't kind of doesn't want to work. I can tell. Like he doesn't want to, because if he sells a car, he can't collect his, yeah. you know, and he, if he's got people in the pipeline, he must like, well, let's see if I can defer them by another mm-hmm. month. Yeah. Right. And so you, you let these people earn whatever they're going to earn. So you're not going to have these people going, weighing off, well, should I work? Should I not? Because mm-hmm. people should be working. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, outside of people who are mm-hmm. compromised for their health perspective, and then you just tax them later, like they said, mm-hmm. they judge me sense. So like, let's let's just tax those who didn't need it later. Yeah, but I, I don't think that's proactive in the fact that just given uh, what's happening in our economy now in terms of employment, there's the gig based economy and self employed, right? There's mm-hmm. less and less people with deductions at source. Mm-hmm. So if you had more people with deductions at source as being employees, you'd be able to control that. You know, because they you'd be able to see how much their income is and what's happening. But when you have more self-employed people in the gig-based account economy, yeah. you're not going to be able to track that as well. So I don't know how you're going to be able to tax that. And then when well, it, you're when it does become an act. Because you're saying yeah. these people are, are not getting a T4. Yeah. They're just getting a check by... Um, by the whoever's using their services. Well, let's let's look at it. So if you got a, if you got a, but isn't that information still submitted to CRA? Yeah, but it's a, a year later, you know, eighteen months later. How are you gonna, you know, the collection mechanism becomes after right. the fact, and there's no like we touched on before. There's no webinar out there in terms yeah. of telling people how to do calculate their income tax installments. Right. Yeah, right. You're expected to be able to just learn 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 how to do it, but yeah. you know, it's just it's a tough thing to do. Yeah, a lot of business owners they struggle to do it. Like, and to your point earlier, like, who do we help? Yeah. We help lawyers, we help accountants, we help doctors, high income earners, because they tend to get behind the eight ball because they're not, they want to concentrate on their practice. They, they forget to 
consider the tax consequences. Right. Yeah, I'd say almost every high income individual, not every, but almost, yeah. there's a tax component. That's, might, that's a yeah. big factor. Yeah, sometimes it's the only factor, you know, they've paid everybody off over time, but there's a few hundred thousand owing to CRA. I'm like, well, yeah. that's, that's a pretty significant thing not to have taken care of. Yeah. Um, but yeah, usually when the income is higher, that's when mm -hmm. the, the CRA uh, obligations tend to increase as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. wow. So what about you, Blair? Do you see any kind of unintended consequences from all this money being pumped into the system? Yeah, I think we've we've touched on a little bit and that it's, you know, driving behavior that's clearly not productive on the whole. You know, the yeah. productive thing would be people employed to the fullest of their capability contributing to the economy and we're incentivizing that not necessarily not necessarily to happen. Yeah. Um, I think something that's um, maybe a little couple levels re removed from that but still really important is just the emotional impact. So if people have right. these debt problems and they would have dealt with them now, but now CERB is here and they're going to deal with them 5 or 6 months. Well, what's happening during those 5 or 6 months? You they're know, just, that their debts must be racking up is that yeah. what's happening? Like that can just be lost time. That can be right. anxiety. Almost everyone that we see, you know, they don't just think about the debt on the way to lunch and then forget about it. It's every moment every of every day. day. They know that they owe money. They know they've got obligations they're not meeting. They don't know what's going to happen to them. So this could be months of people's mental health deteriorating, of them yeah, not making sure. good decisions, not being good members of their family because they're not getting the help that they need. They're just being, yeah. you know, delayed down the road when they should be doing it, you know, in, in the short term here. So I think that's a potential impact. One thing wow. we're really proud of at Sands and Associates point. is every year that we do a, a survey. So we reach okay. out to people that we've helped to do a survey and, and um, you know, as we start, Blair's very involved in it. But one of the things that I always see is, you know, what are some of the consequences of financial difficulty? And you won't believe how many people are actually contemplating suicide over their debts. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the, you're going to stop yeah. and think about that. Someone contemplating take their life over uh, owing money to the banks who have already built into loan loss reserves and all these right. kind of things. Yeah. That's something very serious. Right? That's an unintended consequence. You got somebody here that could be, you know, delaying this income tax liability, falling behind in their debt. The no one's calling them. You know, they're mm -hmm. doing all these things, and then they're they isolated get completely. Isolated now, completely. Right? You know, and we're and uh, you know, like mental health is such a huge issue in our uh, these days, and everyone's becoming um, less and less social and being more on social media and not really getting the human interaction. I think. You know, that's something to pause and think about. That's an unintended uh, consequence of all yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah that's and, a good and, point. And the stat on that is one in five. So it's one in five of the people that come to see us have contemplated suicide as a solution to their financial problems. Jesus. We've asked that, that same question three times in the last surveys. It's always that same age range, young to old, all in between. Like people take this so seriously. To your yeah. point, Raj, no one wants to not pay back their debt. And when you yeah. can't, um, you know, you just cycle through all range of emotions, including some of the darkest ones. Yeah, yeah. Wow. In your wow, that's that's uh, that's a really good point, guys. In your view, uh, from your from the years of working with uh, people who have to go through this process, is what percentage of the people who um, ha need your help are a result of just really poor financial management, and it's kind of on them? Like you know, if you mm -hmm. had to be like, you know, accountable to your own father and mm -hmm. like, you know, hey man, what would you do? I kind of screwed up, Dad. Like I really yeah. just let this thing go versus just an unforeseen kind of crazy something happened that just was totally not planned for what would be the breakdown i would have to see a small percentage on my part is which one but uh, the, uh, just people being irresponsible and there's in the system oh, really yeah there i'd say it's in the single digits oh wow and and that's a result of um well just let's just play out somebody's journey yeah. okay so let's just play you know a, guy, a young guy gets out of university. He's, they're hanging out credit cards like hotcakes there. You know, you get a Frisbee if you sign up for this credit card, right? Right. So you get that. You go deal with that. You turn to work. 
you start working, you pay that down, you maybe party a bit, you went on a couple trips and that accumulates, you pay that down and then they're trying their best to pay it back, but maybe they're taking on two jobs and they're not getting the correct deductions at source and then they end up with a big CRA bill. Right. And CRA has carte blanche and as far as I'm concerned, interest, penalties, everything. And there's really no negotiating with them. They, right. Whoever's on your file, they're going to do what they want to do, right? Yeah. And and that, that's a problem. I think that's a real problem. So that carries on. And then you're like, we talk about those other options people yeah. have, right? So you got that bit of debt. And then you start looking at, okay, I don't want to file for bankruptcy. don't want to do anything. So maybe I'll go get a, a high rate loan. Or maybe I'll go with the payday lenders. You start right. getting into that vicious cycle, you're never getting out. Never going to get out. No, no. So, so you've mentioned a couple of times yeah. about source deduction, the gig economy. You mentioned yeah. that. It are are a large part of your customers, uh, your clientele. Are they um, people who are responsible for their own tax uh, payments? And that's because you mentioned taxes are a big mm-hmm. factor. Is that is that a pretty common theme? Yeah, it, it wouldn't be a majority of the clients. The vast majority, you know, they either have pensions or they're T four employee. You know, there's some government deductions. A majority taken. are actually yeah. Okay, but it's definitely it's a, it's a solid portion of the client base where they are self employed and you know after two or three years in business they get the GST bill that they haven't been collecting but should have been or they've had employees and they haven't known that they're supposed to remit taxes on their employees. So right. there's a lot of that of people who are self employed and just didn't understand the obligations. Yeah. But for the most part, yeah, it's, it's folks who do have deductions taken at source mm. you can still get in trouble with taxes you know if you're cashing in too many rrsps or yeah. we had a couple of years ago like uh, all these donation schemes where you know one member of the family would you know, get a tax receipt for a hundred dollars after donating ten dollars like the time of the 10 to 1 thing and then that went wildfire and siri disallowed all of that mm. but for the most part yeah it's the self-employed you don't know yeah you know to your earlier point is it people being irresponsible or is it that life happened Nine and a half times out of 10, I would say to your point, Raj, yeah. it's life happened. You know, they got divorced, they got sick, a child got sick, they lost their job, which is happening to everybody right now. Yeah. And the way that I would look at it is most people are doing just fine as long as nothing happens. So right. they don't have the emergency fund because they earn 3000 it costs 3000 to live. And if nothing happens, they'll be fine. Yeah. But as soon as one thing happens, whether it's, again, not a little thing like a divorce or an illness or a job loss, there's nothing for them to, to revert to other than to use credit for a period of time. And then when the credit's at its limit, they have to get some help. Right. Yeah, this is wow. one example that comes up. You didn't hear, hear much about it in the papers. Yeah. Well, at least I didn't see any articles on it. Yeah. A few years back, um, you know, our essential workers, hospital workers, nurses, doctors, there were actually seminars that were coming into the hospital to te- tell them about making donations. And uh, what they would do is, well, they're just trusting, you know, somebody comes into your employer, there's a presentation. Yeah. What was basically happening is that this company would tell them to make donations and it result in a large income tax refund. And uh, so they said, don't worry, we'll guide you through the whole process. They go ahead and do that. You get the large income tax refund. But of course, the company that provided them with the advice would be their tax preparer. And the individual, just say the nurse, would assign their income tax refund to this company. So the company would make up this donation. They'd go ahead and file their taxes. The refund would come directly to the company that filed the taxes. They take their success fee and move on. Six, four or five years later, CRA... Uh, identified it and said, hey, yeah. by the way, that's a fraud. We don't care if you didn't receive the money. We're going to put inc- uh, tax liabil- liabilities penalties on it. And then we had several, we had a huge flood of uh, healthcare providers had to come in and file because they couldn't get ahead, ahead of it. Wow. So I didn't, okay. hear, I didn't did so you see that in the papers? No, mm-hmm. we had we had quite a, so that's wow. like the honest, and for, or you get into business with somebody and you didn't bother set up a, yeah. a shareholders agreement. Yeah. And because it's too expensive to pay a lawyer $2,000 up front, you just really want to get to work, right? Yeah. We've all seen that story before. Yeah. Your partner's supposed to be taking care of the financials. He's doing a poor job. All of a sudden, everybody gets hit with the director's yeah. liability. Wow. 
you know? Well, this takes you back, I take yeah. you back to, I guess, the comment you made earlier, yeah. which is this sort of uh, stigma, mm-hmm. as you said, Blair, mm-hmm. with, um, you know, claiming bankruptcy or having to, you know, you know, admit to the fact that you, you know, your, your liabilities outweigh your yeah. assets or your income, mm-hmm. uh, because I would never have thought you were going to give me that answer. I would mm-hmm. have thought most of the people are just irresponsible with their money. Yeah. Um, and before I was a trustee, that's what I, I would have assumed. Personal bankruptcy is about people who have made bad decisions. They yes. should, just should have known damn well known better. Yeah, sure. No, almost nobody can I look across them and yeah. say, you did something really silly there. You could have done it different. I'm yeah, like, you were doing the best thing you could. And oh my God, I would have been knocked back by, yeah. by what hit you. Yeah. So well, I think this circles back to the very first comment you said, Blair, which is the main reason that people uh, last year, why insolvency claims had gone up so much is because of cost of living. And I, mm-hmm. you know, that stat has been well known. It's not talked about right now because everything is all yeah. about COVID, but yeah. um, is that Canadians live with like what, away, they're two paychecks away from yeah. bankruptcy or something. What mm-hmm. is the stats there? Do you know? Oh, it, it's it, something extreme. I think it's yeah. been $200 of not being able to meet obligations. Yeah. So like that's not even a paycheck away. Yeah. And it's, you know, Canadians are one thing we're even worse off than the US, but it was really shocking to me during the US shutdown. You had all these federally employed workers, good salaries within two weeks of not getting a paycheck, they're rationing medication. They can't afford groceries. Yeah, so sure. is this a modern thing that we just spend everything we have? We don't save an emergency fund it's definitely a bc thing from what what we can see here i don't fault people for it it's just it's very difficult to make a go in this economy yeah, yeah. now this stat that you quoted the 43 percent drop in insolvency mm-hmm. claims now that's a stats canada statistic yep is that for Canada or BC? Uh, that's for Canada. Yeah, that's for Canada. Uh, in BC, over the same month, it was a little bit, uh, a little bit muted because BC didn't shut down as rapidly, I think. So BC, it was down 32 percent. Okay. Uh, proposals were down 26. Bankruptcies down 41 for overall a 31 percent, 32 percent decrease. Uh, we're expecting May to be very similar to that, if not more. Like we're seeing probably 40, 50 percent decline, I think, in, wow. in well, May. Um, yeah, go ahead. Well, we, had, we had our that, national, we had our national mm-hmm. webinar with the Office of Superintendent Bankruptcy, the, the Superintendent Bankruptcy, and uh, she alluded to the fact that May is down as well too. Oh, so wow. the May statistics haven't been released. So yeah, it's going to probably stay the same way until CERB runs out and yeah. these programs run out. So. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Um, so do you see a wave coming here? I mean, it seems like it is. And and, and, and uh, so your practice itself, do you, have you seen similar numbers to this? Mm-hmm. You have that kind of yep. reflect yeah. what you're Yeah, we're, we're the largest firm in BC. So if are, the market's okay. tracking a certain way, we're typically tracking that way as well. Yeah, so, we, you know, yeah. we've been very busy giving advice, lots of consultations, uh, but in terms of actual filings, yeah, like the, the May and April and June we had planned out a few months ago is not what had transpired, of course. Yeah. Uh, what I think is that there will be a massive wave of filings. I think it's going to surpass the 2009 peak without any challenge whatsoever, I wouldn't be surprised if it'll be a doubling on a national level. I don't think it's going to go tenfold. It's Mm -hmm. not going to be this, you know, the economy's coming to a halt, but I think there will be a massive flood uh, that I would expect to start. Once again, the CERB money is exhausted, which anyone's guessed, but we would assume in the fall is when people will. And typically that's when insolvency picks up a lot in the fall. Kids are back to school. You start to take a hard look at things. The summer is obviously pretty, pretty quiet in the best of times. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like this CERB thing has really thrown a monkey wrench into all sorts of that between that and then the Canada Emergency Business Account. It's just it's mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what's fascinating, too, is you were mentioning about the restaurant, how tough it is to be a small business person in B.C. right now. You've got the restaurant minimum wage just went up. 
right? Yeah. They didn't delete yeah, that. Yeah, they didn't repeal yeah. that. They no, let I that know. keep going yeah. too, right? It's just like, oh my goodness. Em- em- employer health tax has been in. They're not pulling that no. back either. Yeah, and some yeah, of these restaurants yeah. have high payrolls and on the best years, you might make single digit margins. And yeah. This is not the best year. So you're mm-hmm. already making no margin. You got your minimum wage up and yeah. your employer health tax coming in. Like, I don't know what the government expects a small business person to well, do in this yeah. environment. You got to yeah. increase your sanitization because of mm-hmm. COVID. Yeah, yeah, you have sure. less people coming through the door. Yeah. I was walking down the street. I know this is not appropriate, but but I'll still talk about it. So I was walking down the street, <laughs> and there's a there's like a sandwich board in front of a bar, and it said, uh, you know, we're only allowed to have a third of the people in here. So unless you can drink as much as three people, leave it to the professionals. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so yeah, that's a bit of comedy, you know. You see, but the that, thing but is, you can't truth, raise though. your prices. You can't because a consumer can't afford it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was down in Granville Island, and and I went to go get the kids a uh, an ice cream cone. Yeah. And they hadn't changed their prices. And the damn thing was one, one single scoop was like six bucks. Mm. Yeah. And I said to Crystal, I can't justify spending six bucks. I'm, I'm, I look, I probably support more local businesses mm-hmm. than most people I know, but you got to adjust your prices too. Everybody's got to kind of make a, like make some amends here. Like, well, mm-hmm. there's surcharges yeah. now. There's like a, I, I just recently had a, a restaurant and they had a 2% charge for the back off uh, for the, for the kitchen staff. Yeah. Right. So that gets rolled into the bill plus the sanitization, sanitizing and all that. Yeah. So, you know, it's tough to find an appetizer for less than 10 bucks on a Vancouver restaurant menu. Right? Yeah. You know, Raj, you mentioned yeah. the global financial crisis. Yeah. Now, Blair, I don't know if you were working at that time. Yep. You were? Yep. Okay, great. So um, I was just saying to my team earlier before we started filming is that the, the, the big difference be- that most of them hadn't worked in the finance, mm-hmm. they were still teenage kids in high school or whatever, mm-hmm. they didn't have to worry about it. But back then, in 2009, 2008, 2009, 2010, Remember the 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 most common term in social media was austerity. Remember yeah. that? Yeah, like it was like austerity, 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 right? Yeah. And like everybody was tightening their belt. Like nobody, mm-hmm. people just stopped spending money, even though it was largely hitting people in the financial services mar- industry mm-hmm. more than any other. Um, and that's the thing that I haven't really seen today. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, maybe I have a different. You, maybe I'm, my perspective is different today than the, where I was in 2008, but it just seems to me like one of the problems that's been created from this massive flood of money coming being printed by the federal government is that people aren't actually conducting themselves in the, in the way that they should be. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like it's changing behavioral patterns. Yeah. I mean, in a time of crisis, financial crisis, which we have mm-hmm. in front of us here, even though it was a health crisis, it's turned into a financial crisis. People should be tightening their belts, and I just mm-hmm. don't feel like that's happening. Well, I was reading an article this morning, and Equifax released mm-hmm. some statistics saying that the total in the first quarter, that uh, actually second quarter, I guess you could call it, um, that uh, the total amount of consumer debt's gone down. It's gone down. It's gone down because people are happen, people though? are not consuming as much on their credit, so they're using less. They're using. I'm not, maybe they're using serve to pay down their debt a bit, but um, they're so they're, not they're spending, spending less. They're spending less. So people are spending less. People are. That's according to the article. You guys, okay. you, it's a well, brief I, one. You know, I'm you can read into it whatever you wish, right? View, yeah. So I, I yeah. prefer data, real data. Yeah. When should someone call Sands? Like, what, what would be this? What would you? What, when? When should someone give you guys a call? You know, the easy answer is before they think they should. So everyone that I speak <laughs> yeah. to, they're so like, like the doctor, why, right? why did I wait so long? Oh, my God, I wish I'd made this call earlier. Again, it's uplifting for us because yeah. we know we've changed the reality. But yeah. like, why did you suffer in that reality for so yeah. long? Yeah. Um, so, you know, whether it's for yourself, a friend or a family member, it never hurts to know something about, you know, what can happen in an insolvency situation. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes people do just completely the wrong thing that puts them way worse off because they were just basically doing something to forestall or to push off the meeting with the trustee. 
one big example is cashing in RRSP funds. So I think a lot of people know, I've been harping on this for 10 years now, um, but creditors will still tell you, I'm going to take your RRSPs, why don't you just cash them and make the payment to me and then I'll go away. And people don't know if they had to file a bankruptcy, they would keep everything in their RRSPs, they wouldn't lose a piece of it, but then right. they cash it in to pay debt, they don't have it anymore, they've got a tax liability, uh, and they've done something they didn't have to do. So mm -hmm. I think if someone had the first moment where they think, I might not be able to pay this debt off, um, and sometimes it's not that obvious because the governments, or not the government, sorry, the banks have made it pretty comfortable just to make minimum payments. You know, if you want to keep a great credit rating, make minimum payments for the rest of your life. Your credit rating is probably going to look pretty good. Will you ever have a net worth? Probably not because you're paying 20% interest on all of your debts. But a $6,000 debt, if you make minimum payments, could take you 40 years. Mm -hmm. So if someone is out there saying, I'm okay, I just make my minimums every month, I don't care too much about the balances you're exactly the person that should be calling a trustee because you do want to have some net worth at some point. Maybe you right. want to save the down payment or just have an emergency fund. And if you're paying all your money to minimum payments, you're not getting ahead. You're preserving the credit rating, but that's the magic trick of misdirection in, in life. Like yeah. preserving a great credit rating at the expense of your overall financial health is not a smart thing to do. To add to Blair's point, even the creditors are telling you that you should probably file. You open up your credit card statement. If you're making the minimum payment, it says you're not going to pay this for 236 years. <laughs> That's an indication. <laughs> <You're> probably, <Yeah. laughs> you you got to do something about it, right? Right, so, right. So, like, you know. And, and, and from your yeah. uh, your your statistic earlier, Blair, yeah. that you shifted from when you first started, that now about mm -hmm. two-thirds of the people you yeah. work with go through the process of a, what did you call it? Again? Consumer proposal. Con consumer proposal yeah. uh, versus pure bankruptcy. Under consumer proposal, do you see a lot of people who are able to still keep their homes and that type of yeah. thing? Versus when you have a bankruptcy, I'm assuming you, your home's gone, right? You got to- No, so that, get to keep it. Yeah, that wouldn't be a, a fair assumption. It's again, oh, what I thought yeah. before I was a trustee, yeah. but yeah. the reality is I haven't sold a home in probably three years now. Um, yeah. You know, maybe there's the odd one that you're dealing with, Raj, but uh, for the vast majority of cases, yeah. if people have a home and they're coming to see us, they usually don't have a whole lot of equity in that home, I see. right? Because most of the time they've mortgaged yeah. it, they've consolidated, right. they've it, taken out yeah, all the equity take, over time. I see. And when you go into bankruptcy, most people think you lose everything, you That's don't. You the, don't? No, the government has certain exemptions and some of them make a whole lot of sense. You get to keep your clothing. Well, that makes sense. How would it work otherwise? <laughs> you get to keep your furniture. You get to keep your tools of the trade. You have a vehicle below a certain value and the equity in your house for each person on title, you're allowed $12,000. So okay. if mm -hmm. it's you and a spouse on title, well, the first $24,000 of equity is free and clear in a bankruptcy. So if you've got yeah. less than that amount of equity and you go into bankruptcy, it's like that asset doesn't exist at all. It can't yeah. be touched. If you've got $30,000 of equity and you go into bankruptcy, well, you're probably going to arrange with the trustee to pay off the 6000 of extra to keep your house. I see. So I think we anticipate in the coming years, especially if real estate values start or stop going up every year as they've been doing, that then we'll probably have to deal with some situations where someone's got $100,000 of equity and $300,000 of debt. Okay, in that case, we probably do have to work with them to sell the house. But even then, when that house is sold, they'll each get a check for the $12,000. Okay. So they're in a better situation having filed a bankruptcy than if they had not filed a bankruptcy and just let the house go to creditors, they would end up with nothing at that point. Right. At least they'll get an exemption. Okay. See, the exemption's a good thing, but it, it, people look at it and say, well, isn't that kind of like using, you know, cheating the system? Yeah, cheating the system. Yeah. It's not cheating the system. Businesses do it all the time. You, you get right. out there and there's several professionals that pride themselves on pre-packed services before yeah. somebody goes into a CCAA or into a receivership to structure everything before they do it effectively. Right. So why shouldn't an individual be able to yeah. do that? And, and they're the rules, right? Yeah, so sure. perhaps they were going to sell the house yeah. and they were going to apply all of that to the creditors and still yeah. not pay the debt. They still would end up filing. If the rules are there, you can well, use it tells it to your me, yeah. Just by your response, it tells me yeah. like a lot of people you work with obviously have a lot of pride, right? Yeah. And they, they, they've, which tells me then they are those kind of people that have probably 
really took a lot of pride in taking care of themselves and their families and just but they got hit with something that exactly. was unexpected. Well, even with the home, they've they've already gone into the bank to try to right. obtain a second mortgage or to refinance so they can pay their creditors out in full. That was their intention, but the bank said no. Yeah. And oftentimes it'd be the same creditor that they have their mortgage with. They may have a line of credit or uh, a credit card with them, and the, the bank will tell them, "Sorry, we can't we can't refinance our secured position to pay off our unsecured debts because we're getting a better rate." Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. You know, I one of the companies that I have an ownership in. Um, we we launched just as COVID started really hit a business continuity loan program. I think I talked mm-hmm. about that, Raj. And uh, and it was it wasn't even probably like two to three weeks later when CERB got announced, mm-hmm. and and then the CBA got announced, the Canada Business mm-hmm. Account. We've never had one inquiry on this on wow. this, this <laughs> business continuity loan in a time it's just mind blowing. Um, is there any government policies other than these ones that have recently been kind of thrown in, uh, into place because of COVID or previous ones yeah. to that that have been in place for a few years that you're kind of critical of that you think make um, make it difficult for people to kind of get ahead? I mean, uh, you know, we know that you mentioned earlier, Blair, that uh, how cost of living is a real mm-hmm. problem. But and so we could get really deep and philosophically yeah. about cost of living and government policy. But I'm talking more about things like you mentioned, Raj, about the gig economy workers and not knowing, even having a basic understanding about why they need to set aside money for taxes on a regular basis. Is there any policies that you see the government either have in place that are terrible policies or things they're not doing at all that they should be doing? I think it would just be that just education. simple education, financial simple. literacy. Yeah, financial literacy. You know, um, I think that that would resolve a lot of the problems. Yeah. Um, uh, even if somebody were to go set up a corporation, you can go set up a corporation, a corporation online. Right. And usually an entrepreneur is pretty tight at that point, so they can't afford a lawyer. They can't afford to uh, set up a shareholder's agreement. They can't go incorporate. You know, why pay 1600 or 2000 at a lawyer's office when I can do it for free by following BC Business Online's website and pay 400 bucks? Yeah. So I think that would be helpful for financial literacy on that end. Um, yeah. uh, for me, that would be important. Maybe uh, Consumer Protection British Columbia has done uh, taking some great strides in terms of educating consumers about uh, payday loans. Um, also, you probably noticed quite a bit with uh, uh, the BC Securities Commission. They're talking about the you know the the Ponzi schemes and you know make sure you're looking at a perspective before you're, yeah. you're investing. And uh, you know, unfortunately, people are taking advantage of senior yeah. citizens. Yeah, you know, so I well, think there's so many scams. So out many there. scams out there. Yeah, right? it's amazing. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. the romance scams. We get those every few months, scams. and it's just yeah. the saddest thing. And not someone that you would think would need to have help for romance, both male and female, <laughs> but they can be taken for thirty, forty thousand yeah. dollars easy. There's check kiting yeah. scams again. Yeah. CRA the professional yeah. people. Oh, CRA scams. Like if my phone blows up every couple of weeks, it seems yeah. with a new one. There, yeah. CRA <laughs> calling to say they're going to throw me in jail. I'm like, I think I know better. So, yeah. Um, but well, yeah, you, you got to keep your eyes open for sure. I, yeah. I think one one thing I've seen re- just with the change of demographics is just uh, uh, senior abuse. Okay. Um, you know, you have an older person that just wants to stay at home and they probably want the kids to stay with them because they, they don't want to end up in a care home facility if they can avoid it for as long as they can. But they're just trusting the children a bit too much. Mm. So, um, you know, if you're going to bring your children on title of a property or you should probably seek some sort of legal advice before you do that. Yeah. Um, you know, if your child comes to you and says, hey, why don't we become joint tenants on the property? Avoids uh, uh, probate. Right. When you pass pass away yeah probably want to look at that yeah i've seen one too many you know sad stories really yeah where, where the, the children have kind of zapped the estate 
it's the estate for whatever they're not the estate just while their parents are still living so that's what i mean yeah yeah, yeah, like yeah. the living estate like literally <laughs> the living while, estate, like, yeah they've, they've been stealing from mommy and daddy's uh piggy bank so to speak and or it's maybe they haven't or maybe they, they just run across a you know a, they've gotten a relationship with a fraudster right mm-hmm. you know they, yeah. so that i think it's just a, it comes back to literacy on that yeah. end uh, is there anything that you think? No, i no? think that yeah. makes makes good sense yeah, yeah for the most part i think we got really great legislation around insolvency around bankruptcy yeah. in this country it's not is adver- it federal legislation yeah. correct yeah, yeah it's okay. the federal bankruptcy and insolvency act it's yeah. not adversarial like it is in the states you don't need a lawyer you're not going to go to court and fight at people tooth and nail it's pretty right. reasonable and what i love about it too is it's all inclusive like there's very few things that you owe in this world that if you go through an insolvency proceeding you can't absolve and get get past and move on with your life yeah. the things that make sense you know alimony child support you should never yeah. be able to get out of those debts yeah. but if you're in the states income taxes and student loans you owe those until you, until you pay them off or you pass but are, on are student loans also exempt from bankruptcy here no in and i'm so happy we're talking about that that's yeah. a huge did, didn't the government come out with that and say like because they were getting tired of be of no uh, I thought there was some. So there, there's a waiting period. Yeah. So the I wasn't a trustee at the time, but yeah. apparently there was no waiting period for student loans for a period of time. And the government could see people are booking vacations as soon as they get their student loan money in the account. It wasn't going <laughs> to, for studies. And then they were filing for bankruptcy the day of graduation. And that's not a good use of the system. I don't know if that's overblown. It's a wife's tale or whatever. Right. But what the government has done is they put in a waiting period. So the way it works now is if you graduate school, the government wants you to at least try to earn income from that studies. So they put a seven-year waiting period. If you oh, file for bankruptcy or you make a consumer proposal within seven years of you being a student, you'll still get the protection. You won't have to pay your student loan. But at the end of that proceeding, that student loan is going to be reactivated where all the other debts are gone. Now, if it's been more than seven years, that student loan is the same as every other debt. And I the vast see. majority of people, first seven years out of school, yeah, they are trying to earn income. Income, they're trying to make a good use of their of their education. So it's only if they're not able to do that after seven years, they can get the help of either a bankruptcy or a proposal. But that's it. It's just the timing period. It, it absolutely okay. can be included. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I'm just being uh, enlightened here big time because I had all these uh, visions of like how nasty it must be. And like you would have to go to court and mm-hmm. you're going to get raked over the coals by all these creditors and yeah. and at certain things. So when what, if I did a did go through a process of a consumer proposal. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens to my credit? Uh, what do they call that? Your, your credit cre- score? Credit score. Yeah, I would say I think credit rating because I'm always in the world of <laughs> yeah. finance. But credit score. What happens with that? I must get, just go deep south or. Yeah, like I encourage people to accept when you deal with your debts, when you don't pay them back in full, accept your credit's going to go to zero and you're going to yeah. rebuild it from there. Now, you can do various things to deal with your debts. Even if you go with a credit counselor and you pay everything back 100%, but you save the interest, your credit score till, still takes a hit to an R7. So every debt that you have is rated on an R scale. R1 is perfect. You never miss a payment. R9 is you're in bankruptcy. You skip the country, can't find you or something like that. Okay. R7 is a proposal where you pay back part of the debt or the debt management plan where you pay back all of the debt so it's not great it's not close to r1 but it's not forever so and, w- and what are most canadians well it depends you like know mo- most middle well, most the, are the, r1. the guy like, you were mo- talking about yeah. before something bad happened to his family yeah mo- most people are r1 most people okay. pay their debts even up until the Can moment they get a they're mortgage in with an r3 rating it would depend, right? It depend how well, many of your ranking, accounts. Well, yeah. that's a rank. Sorry, that's a rank. That's just how far. You, usually, it's a numerical value, like a oh. six fifty, yeah, seven hundred, or something. Your like credit that. score is different yeah. than the individual rating. So, oh, what see. your score is going to be, I don't know. That can be calculated mm, yeah. a number of different ways by different lenders. But the individual accounts are going to have, you know, an R seven. So, or how an R9. long would it take if I went through a consumer proposal, 
Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I and so I was a guy who maybe yeah. was at R one. Yeah. And then something bad happens. You know, yeah. I, I didn't yeah. plan to get cancer. My wife got cancer. Mm-hmm. We didn't have yeah. the proper medical yeah. coverage. And now I got to pay for all this fancy mm-hmm. medication stuff. Life happened. Yeah. Okay, Life yeah. You got to move forward. Yeah. yeah. So we go through the whole process with Sands. You guys help me out with the consumer proposal. I don't have to go down the path of mm-hmm. claiming bankruptcy. Yeah. We get things settled out. I start rebuilding again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How long is it going to take me to go from, say, R7 back to like R2 or R3, R1? I, th- I think to answer your question, we yeah. got to go into the numerical, right? So, okay. so the R7 is mm-hmm. an individual on each one of, uh, say, every credit facility will have a ranking R1, R7, yeah. whatever it is, right? So I think once you're done, that's when your credit starts to improve. So it drops off your credit score, depending on what you're looking at, either two years or three years off your credit report. Completely off. Yeah. So you're going back to normal. But let's just look at it from the bank's perspective, because everyone's all fixated about credit. It's not a it's not any sort of indication of your self-worth. Okay. so your credit score is what the bank looks at. And so if I'm going in to obtain financing off from a bank, I'm fully leveraged. I'm walking in with a fantastic credit score, 800 because I'm paying my minimum page, uh, payments and I'm just struggling to pay my credit. I'm working for my creditors. I walk into the bank, the bank's not gonna lend money to me anyways because I'm overutilized. Right. But if I do a proposal and I still have that same earning potential, I've completed it, and I know those debts are no longer mine, my credit score may say that I'm at a 450 or 500, but if I'm the banker looking at it, you've got no liabilities. Right on. You got all this cash flow. Right. Good so point. I think I, I'm gonna start with you. Yeah. So there's companies that specialize in it where they may start at a higher rate for the first six months, but they'll drop it down. That's, we cover rebuilding credit with our clients as well, too. You know, and there's a quick YouTube video on our website that people can visit. And it's quite simple. You know? Yeah. And it's just a methodical process. There's no real secret. We cover it in our counseling yeah. sessions during a proposal and things. So, so it's not going to take seven to 10 years to get back no. to having like no. decent credit. Yeah, I think that some guidelines I give to yeah. people is, you know, a bankruptcy is one of the worst things you can do to your credit. It gets you out of debt. Within two to three years of you being finished that bankruptcy, you could qualify for a mortgage without a crazy risk premium. Really? So yeah. bankruptcy is going to be on your report for six years after you finish it. So kind of seven years of impact mm-hmm. in total. Most yeah. bankruptcies are nine months. But within two to three years, if you do the right things to reestablish yourself, you'll be considered as credit worthy as someone who had not been bankrupt. So when I speak to people about I'm focused on my credit rating, well, you got to go to the next level down. Well, why? Oh, I want to buy a house someday. Okay. You ever tried saving a down payment? Oh, I try. It's really hard. I got all this debt. Let's get rid of the debt. Then you're able to save the debt down payment, that's going to take at least a couple of years. So two to three years after the proceeding is finished is pretty reasonable for someone to consider. Mm-hmm. And we help people put that plan together all the time. With a consumer proposal, it's a little less severe than a bankruptcy. And to Raj's point, yeah, within a couple of years of you having it paid off, it's gone. Wow. So a consumer proposal, maximum term on a proposal is five years of payments. A lot of them are shorter than that. And it's going to clear either three years from when you pay it or six years from when you sign it. So if it's a five-year proposal, you make the last payment, 12 months later, it's like it never happened. It's off your bureau. Wow. You know, wow. I know you deal with institutional uh, yeah. um, investments, but you know, you're going back to the consumer level. Somebody walks in and says, hey, you know what? I want to start saving money for my kids. Yeah. I want to RESP. I want to start putting my money into RRSP. We've had financial planners, and we do have financial planners that just refer their people over to us to help them deleverage so they can start accumulating assets. Right. Because wow. you know, I, I walk in, I'm going to do a filing. I have no assets. It's not available for my creditors. All of a sudden, I'm not paying $1,200 to my creditors in minimum payments, I can start putting money away, money away from my kid's education. Right I can start putting money into my RSP. Yeah. I can buy that life insurance policy right. because I may have not had it before, but now I've got two kids. I need insurance. Right. Yeah. So, you know, that, that's the positive side of it. Once again, the, you know, the system is set up for the honest and unfortunate debtor. Yeah. Uh, it's not like a financial car wash. Okay. Yeah. 
there's mechanism and there's integrity to the system. Most people that come to to see you are one time only type of clientele most of the time. Yeah, I think the stats are about 15% of people who go bankrupt once will have to go again in their future. And I expect that will go up over time just as, you know, bankruptcy rates have increased. Only 15%, eh? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's not the most modern of stats, but that's the the generally accepted one. I expect that's going to be up, you know, for the vast majority of folks that we see, it's the first time, the only time they'll ever be through the system. But sometimes I'll sit with somebody who's now 70 years old. They had a bankruptcy when they were 50 and they had one when they were 30. Okay. If you have more than two bankruptcies, it's a little bit more difficult. You probably are going to go to court, but you can still, you know, get through it. Yeah. But for the most part, it's a one-time thing. It's a necessary reset. Yeah. Yeah. Or even, you know, just, just focusing on BC. Imagine if you're one of those unfortunate people that bought a leaky condo mm-hmm. and yeah. you had to follow assignment in bankruptcy back then. Right. That wasn't, that just life that just happened to you. Yeah. Now things, something else may have happened, right? But, yeah. You know, that's to Blair's point. It's not repeat offenders or somebody that's just yeah, learned sure. to milk the system. It's just, it happens, right? Okay, who's the worst person or worst entity to hold my owe money against other than the Hells Angels? Government, without a doubt. <laughs> government, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've no. often joked. I if said, I, that yeah. if yeah. I had a choice yeah. between going, I've had lots of, I had. I continue to deal with a lot of, uh, CRA loves me. They, they audit me almost every year. I think I'm like 10 out of the last. It's a sign of love, years. right? They give you a Christmas card? Yeah, oh, yeah, I know. Should be. <laughs> yeah, should be. I've always said, if I had to go through two doors, one said Hells Angels and the other said CRA, I'd take the Hells Angels because at least they're reasonable. (laughs) (laughs) At least they negotiate, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, this has been fascinating, guys. So let's, to wrap this up, what are your view on the way things are going to unfold here? Do you have any kind of sort of lines of sight on where where you think, because we're we're mid-June right now. So far, the government's kind of indicated the CERB is going to go on Mm -hmm. until it sounds like the end of August, at least. My inclination, it's going to be longer. I don't know. Um, SIBA is kind of, you know, it's going to run its course. The wage subsidy, I think, is in- intended to go now to October. But do you guys have any kind of uh, sort of views on the economy as a whole from your lens with the insolvency space? Do you kind of have any predictions of what you think is going to happen? Well, you go first. Line. Well, I think for, from my perspective, I expect insolvencies to surge, but I think the okay. government's going to do everything they can to really manage that so it's not all at once. So if Flatten I were, the curve. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Flatten well, the why curve didn't I come with that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think they will try to do so. I think what they'll do is with CERB, I think the headline will be CERB is extended, but I think they'll progressively lock down who's eligible for it until it's, right. it's finally just you know a subset of what it was, and then it's a small enough percentage that when finally those folks are taken off, it's not going to be a massive hit, You know, people in the streets that they just can't afford. To, to live anymore. So yeah. I would expect by mid to late fall that trustees' offices will be very busy. Filings will start to peak. And I think 2021 will be the largest year of bankruptcies in Canada ever. Wow. What about you, Raj? Um, What's your prediction? I'm just going to focus on two things, really. I'm going to look to see when the courthouse opens again. Okay. That's number one. And the second thing is if the kids will be able to go back to school in September. That Those are the two things I can see coming up in the short term. I don't know about um, the CERB. What what's it going to digress into? What's it going to become? You know the and the and the deferrals. Another thing I think I'd look at is with the banks in terms of their deferrals. Okay. Those are the three things that I'm looking at. Whether or not kids can go back to school, will the courthouse the courthouse open, and will the banks continue to why, provide? Why deferrals? are kids going back to school relevant to the economy? And I think that just provides a general confidence in what the economy is in terms of how safe there are children. Yes. You want you would not you want your children to go back into something that's a disaster area, or per, perhaps a 
you know, they they contract something, right? Right. Even though children are lower risk, but still yeah. there are children, right? Yeah, sure. So I think that for me is the, the two things. You know, I, I can't predict what the government's going to do. Yeah. But if I can see the courthouse open and it's getting back to normal, we can return our kids back to school. They're going back. Life starts to return back to normal. I think that will be a clear indicator because then the government will see that the, the life's turning back to normal. They may start repealing a bit of their stimulus in the marketplace. Right. So that's that's where what I'm about kind Canucks of games. Is that an indication for you? I think so too. Yeah, you got our, our marketing guy. He's always he's he's diehard Canucks fan. He's always been with him. He's like, I'm telling you guys, double down on the Canucks, double down the Canucks. When hockey the, comes back, everyone's going to be watching. Everyone's going to be watching. So yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. That's so point. Um, so that's where I'm at. I, I, and yeah. um, I, I don't really know what's going to happen. And you know, yeah. maybe maybe in January we're going to see a bit of a spike. But yeah. The, but the the banks have an interest in not having a spike. Right. Yeah, that's a good know? point. Yeah. So they incubated back in 09. They're probably going to do it again. You know, they're pushing off um, yeah. uh, realizing on loans. They're yeah. working with companies, which yeah. is the right thing to do to maintain employment, right? So I think they're probably going to do it this time around too. It may not be a spike, but I think it'll be a general increase over the time period. Yeah. 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 But hey, you know, we could well, all you're be more, more optimistic than Blair is. I'm in Blair's, yeah. I'm in Blair's mm-hmm. camp for okay. sure. Yeah. Um, but this, well, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Now, this is your guy's website. It's mm-hmm. uh, sands-trustee.com. That's yeah. right. Um, just to be clear, when people call you, it's private, it's confidential. Absolutely. To, you know, and you guys are there to. So what, what's the first way to, for people to reach out? They just pick up the phone or they go to the website? Or yeah, you... e- either are fine. They can call us or they can go on the website. There's a 310-910-911 is the number or just sands-trustee. It's a free consultation. We're doing everything by Skype or by telephone or yeah. by Zoom or Teams. Everything video or, or audio these days, just yeah. not really seeing in person. We're looking forward to getting back to normal and seeing clients in person. But for now, we're fully operational online. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. And where are your offices? I mean, I know I gain everything. Where aren't we? Right <laughs> yeah, we've got, we're all we, through British Columbia. Yeah, n- right. 19 offices yeah. across the province. Uh, we can help clients anywhere in the province, and our physical offices extend, you know, through here, the island, the interior, yeah, quite a bit of the province. Just in BC is our focus. Yeah. Great. Well, Blair and Raj, this has been really enlightening for me. Um, and uh, I think the listeners are going to find this great. This has been fascinating. Excellent. And um, we'll look forward to seeing what happens. I mean, these these numbers are outstanding. 43% drop in insolvency in the uh, worst financial crisis since the global financial crisis. But uh, there's your website. Again, it's sands-trustee.com. We've got Blair Manton and Raj Hara. Thanks for being on the show today. Really appreciate you guys Pleasure. coming in. Thank you. And I will shake us. your hand. But not right now. So, Deal. all right. Yeah. <laughs> Take a rain check. Yeah. Th- thanks, guys. Thanks for coming in. Cheers. Thanks. Thank you.